This is Tensegrity Church Podcast, encouraging a balanced tension of truth and love in the body of Christ. I'm your host, John Gruen. Hey everyone, thanks for listening. I am very excited that this is the first episode where I will be interviewing someone. And I'm new at this, and the person I'm interviewing, I don't think has done this before either. I've so. actually done a lot of professional interviews before. Really? Nice. Um, this is my sister, Anna. <laughs> Hi, everyone. And I'm very much joking. This is probably my first interview as well. But we know it'll be amazing. At, at the very least, uh, all my listeners will know that this is the very best interview I've ever done. <laughs> You're the best guest I've ever had on my show. And... Um, Anna came to visit me for the weekend, we'll visit my family, and you will maybe hear my family bouncing around upstairs. My uh, three rambunctious boys are always horsing around, so if you hear background noise, that's what it is. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. You know, I'm really glad we are able to do this in person. I was afraid we'd have to do it through a screen, but so much better in person, right? Definitely. I'm tired of Zooming. So tired of it. Yeah. Uh, Anna is a teacher at Trinity First Lutheran School in Minneapolis, uh, and she'll talk about that a little bit, but also what she did before that. She has a very interesting ministry background, as she has served in in, in church and school and so forth. Uh, Before that, Anna, you were at Concordia Middle School in Chai, Taiwan. Um, Maybe just get us started by telling us a little bit about what Taiwan is like and what ministry is like there. Yeah, definitely. Well, this is one of my favorite topics. Um, I love the country of Taiwan. So Taiwan, if you're not familiar with it, is a small island off the coast of China. It's in Southeast Asia. Um, It does have a very pure form of traditional Chinese culture that mainland China doesn't even have anymore because so many things were destroyed with the Communist Party. Um, But Taiwan enjoys a lot of freedom. The people are so friendly and so open to meeting foreigners and new ideas. Um, It's a very beautiful country, lots of mountains, lots of um, beaches and things like that. Um, So let's see, I was in Taiwan for three and a half years and I just learned so much while I was there. And I would say that my favorite thing about Taiwan is the people, by far. Now, those people have uh, a religious background that is a bit mixed. There's a few different heritages of of faith, I suppose you could say there. Um, Maybe a little about the the culture, the religion, uh, religions that are currently in Taiwan. What's that like? Yeah, so Taiwan has a religion that's kind of a mixture between Taoism, Buddhism, and a folk religion. So they worship their ancestors, they uh, have hundreds of gods, and it is pretty law-based. You see a lot of efforts to appease the gods, um, sometimes even cutting their backs with swords. Um, Those are the most extreme cases in the temples. But, you know, Taiwan is also a very modern country, so... um, This folk religion is becoming less and less common, I think. Uh, More of the older generations believe it, but a lot of the younger generations are seeking for different answers. So you just mentioned the temples that are there, but Christianity has been in Taiwan for quite a while now, too. In fact, I remember you telling me about one adventure where you went hiking off by yourself and stumbled upon a very old church Uh, Christian church. Do you remember what that experience was like? Oh, yeah. 
so it's so sharp in my memory still. Um, Taiwan has about 14 different native tribes, and um, a lot of these tribes now are very Christian, um, sometimes more than the, the Han Chinese people in Taiwan. Um, but I remember walking into the, the mountains. I was just going for a weekend hiking trip by myself. That was kind of my stress reliever. And I saw this church with stained glass, and I was so taken aback. This was the first stained glass church that I had seen in Taiwan. And so I walked up to it and started talking with the people. But the story behind it was there was one tribal woman, and, and this was a tribe of headhunters at the time, back in the 30s, 40s. Uh, one tribal woman was looking for truth, and she walked up to a church and um, became a Christian. And she started witnessing to all of her tribe. And during World War II, the Japanese were in control of Taiwan. And it got so violent that the missionaries had to leave. And they were afraid what would happen to the tribal Christians. But after World War II, when the Japanese left, the missionaries returned, and they found that the entire tribe had accepted Christ because of this one woman. And that was such a strong testimony to me. I was really greatly encouraged that one person can have such an influence. That's a good story. That's amazing. Uh, you, uh, you used the, the phrase, uh, believing the truth. Uh, and I, I like the, the, the word tensegrity because in, in art or structural sciences, it refers to a balance of, of push and pull forces, compression and tension forces. And I like to think of that uh, in the church as, as truth and love in, in, a, in a balanced tension, both at work, neither one without the other, because they are, you know, they are intertwined in, in Christ. But in Taiwan, then, you have, you have this plurality of messages, of religions, of backgrounds, of cultures even. What was sharing the truth like uh, at the school? And also, I know you did some work at a media company in Taiwan that also taught the faith while teaching English. Uh, what is sharing the truth like in Taiwan? Mm, sharing the truth in Taiwan. Um, I mentioned earlier that Taiwanese people are very open, and it amazed me um, how much easier it is to have a conversation about religion in Taiwan than it is in America. Um, really? My Buddhist friends knew I was Christian. Um, that wasn't any issue. We were still able to um, get along really well. You know, we asked each other questions, whereas sometimes in America there's there's really a negative connotation to Christianity and um, a lot of assumptions and a lot of uh, stereotypes maybe that come along with that. But in Taiwan, um, just a lot of free conversation, um, a lot of openness when talking about faith. At the same time, uh, we know that God's word is offensive, right? <laughs> Jesus himself says a lot of things that are difficult to, to accept. And I can recall several conversations, both with uh, Taiwanese people and other foreigners in Taiwan, about Jesus not just being a great teacher, as many people told me, or they, they believed that, but I got to explain to them that Jesus claimed to be so much more than that. In fact, he is God. And you could see the responses um, on these people's faces, and they, they did not like that idea or the idea that there is one true God rather than a plurality of truths, a plurality of gods. Um, and so 
as they were open and willing to talk, there's also this reaction, this difficulty with handling um, the truth of God. In Chinese, the word for sinner also means criminal. And so a lot of times when I use that word to try to explain the law and the gospel, um, people would come to me and say, but teacher, you don't understand. Um, you're saying we're criminals. We're, you're saying that everyone is a criminal, but I've never robbed a bank. I've never broken the law. Um, and that was, again, another offense to them. And yet it was an opportunity to, to share the gospel um, in all of its, its beauty, because we are all criminals um, when it comes to God's law. One thing that was difficult to get around when talking about the truth of the gospel was this notion that the God of the Bible is a Western God and not for Chinese people. Mm. Um, and that was something that, um, you know, I really worked hard to dispel. And I think missionaries in general have <laughs> worked on for centuries to dispel, which when you think about it, really, I mean, Jesus as a Jew, he was Asian. Um, most of the Bible was written, I mean, obviously not in America, but in the Middle East, in Europe. Um, and a lot of the, the, the ideas in the Bible are much closer to Eastern thought rather than Western thought. Um, there's also a lot of ideas that suggest that um, China a long time ago did have the truth and did worship one true God, maybe the God of the Bible. Um, and so it's kind of fun to draw those connections and say, actually, it's very Chinese to believe the God of the Bible. When we think about sharing the, the love of Christ here in the United States, we might think of it in terms of uh, relationships or mercy ministry or just being there for one another and uh, what what does it look like? What what does maybe the the concept of love in Taiwan on its own, and then also especially in the Christian context? What what is that like? Like how would you show love to someone? Does mm -hmm. it look different than here? Yeah, that's a great question. So you know we hear about missionaries in India and how they were able to, and still do, reach out to the untouchables. You know, India has a very strong caste system. Um, that really sparked um, an, an openness to the untouchables for the gospel. It was the Christian's compassion and disregard for society's rules that just showed the love of God. Um, and I, I saw some of those social rules in Taiwan. Um, but maybe the beautiful thing about being a foreigner is you're not as aware, you're not as um, held back by social norms, social rules. Some of them you're unaware of even. And so to reach out to the quote-unquote untouchables as a foreigner, um, it's a bit easier hmm. than if I were Taiwanese, right? Just like I imagine if a foreigner came to America, they're not aware of all the stereotypes that we have, perhaps, um, and they might be able to reach out to society's quote-unquote untouchables. Um, and when, when Christians do that, when they reach out to the least, when they reach out to the hurting and the poor, um, that speaks volumes. You know, um, the missionaries aren't just going to the rich and the famous in Taiwan. 
they're reaching out in, in the common marketplaces to the people that don't even speak Chinese. They speak a, a dialect of Taiwanese, um, which mm. really says they have not very much social status, um, but they are important. We see them as important bec- because Christ saw them as important enough to die for. So I think that's what love looks like on the mission field. So as a missionary, you're, you're in a sense already on the outside, um, already countercultural, and so to be able to reach the, the outcasts of, of that culture is, is an easier thing. Fascinating. Uh, are you able to speak a little, I suppose you call it Chinese yeah. still, right? Yeah, Mandarin so, Chinese. Something you could say about, about Jesus or a part of a creed or a prayer or anything like that? Oh, sure. Um, well, my Chinese is pretty rough right now, but um, let's see. I can say, Yesu Jilu Aini. That just means Jesus Christ loves you. Um, Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Could go on, but I hope no one's uh, correcting my Chinese remotely. You are a talented musician, too, and you recently... Uh, wrote a song and and really published it it's out there on apple music spotify amazon prime unlimited other other streaming platforms but uh your song free taiwan is a beautiful instrumental song that's filled with uh some of that um uh, chinese culture i suppose you could say and yet when i hear the song it seems deeply spiritual to me too Uh, what's the significance of the song and what's what's your inspiration You know, although Taiwan is technically considered part of mainland China, like Hong Kong and Macau, um, it does enjoy a lot of freedoms right now. Um, Freedom of speech, freedom of religion, free economy. And that might not always be the case. Um, Mainland China has become more and more aggressive to Taiwan. Even just on Biden's inauguration, um, they were flying jets across the Taiwan Strait. And and so this is this song is really just a plea for the world to recognize what's at stake. Um, Taiwan really is unique being the only Chinese-speaking democracy in the world. And um, I believe it should it should remain as free as possible. I tried to incorporate some of the um, the native uh, ideas as far as instrumentation and musicality because that's part of the culture in Taiwan that I love. Um, but I really wanted to share with people um, the fact that Taiwan enjoys these freedoms, but that might not last. Um, and I hope it does because Taiwan is a more beautiful country, a healthier country because of these freedoms. So your song is appropriately named Free Taiwan, and I encourage you all to check it out. Uh, look it up on your streaming platforms, Free Taiwan by Anna Gruen. It's, uh, it's amazing. And I want to share with you just a snippet of one of my favorite parts.
All right, that was just a tiny little taste. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, Anna, after, after your time in Taiwan, you made a big change, a huge transition um, to coming back to the United States. And not only that, but uh, teaching in an urban area, uh, downtown Minneapolis at Trinity First Lutheran School. What, what was that transition like and, and what, are you, what are you teaching there? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, well, the transition back to the United States was very difficult. Everything was new, everything was cold, everything was hard, uh, and I didn't really know many people in Minnesota. My family was all out of state. Um, when you're a missionary living abroad, you have a certain community, or at least I hope there's a certain community for missionaries, a certain camaraderie that you have being a foreigner in a foreign land. But when you come back to the States, um, first of all, our culture is very independent. Um, it's a bit, it can be a bit isolating. Um, and I re-realized the value of community. Mm. Um, that is key. That is very key. Um, not only that, but teaching was very difficult. You know, in Taiwan, you have automatic respect being a teacher. Um, when students apologize to you, they bow. Um, there's very strict rules of making sure that you respect your teacher. But in the States, I, I realized very quickly that you have to earn that respect. And um, it's, a, it's a more delicate relationship, right? So that was a lot of effort um, being put into my first year of teaching in America. A lot of things that I was realizing. Um, I was work also working with a different culture. A different demographic and so um, my goal in Taiwan was to you know become as Taiwanese as I could not being a poser of course but learning as much as I could about the Taiwanese culture and so that's what I that was kind of my mentality when I came back to the States how can I um, how can I understand as much as I can and really be able to relate and communicate effectively with my students and I imagine that took a, a bit of time and effort on your part. It did. You know, I'm not saying I've arrived. Um, every day is a work in progress of learning to um, honor your neighbor above yourself and communicate effectively as best you can. And what do you teach there? I teach music currently. Um, I've also helped with English as a second language for students and parents. And uh, the the students learning English are they uh, what what is their native language? A lot of the students that we've had the last couple of years are Spanish speakers, um, and so it's really fun to be able to um, first of all relate with them. I'm able to speak a little Spanish, so building that relationship, and then watching their English just thrive. Um, and it's not just from you know English classes as kids they just pick it up so quickly mm. they learn it on the playground they learn it talking with their friends it's just phenomenal to see i know you speak a little bit more than just a little spanish you actually taught spanish in taiwan of all places too I so did. yeah that was a really fun experience back in the states here so uh so there are a number of challenges to ministry there uh Probably before this, uh, certainly before this last year, but now this last year was an interesting year for you too. Uh, your school is located just a few blocks away from where George Floyd died, and uh, the, some of the the unrest in the area uh, 
affected you and your school directly. So tell us a little bit about what it was like to go through that. Yeah. And, and maybe you, and, and indeed you still are going through it. Yeah. Um, all I can say was at the beginning, the pain was just visceral. Um, you could feel it in our community. You could just, uh, it's hard to describe, um, very palpable pain and frustration and anger um, at the loss of a human life, <laughs> at the loss um, for George's family and his daughter. Um, you know, a lot, of, a lot of friends who have had negative experiences with police, um, that brought back a lot of memories for them or frustrations that came to the front. Um, and a lot of police and security uh, really had a difficult time after that uh, as well. I, I don't think anyone was not affected by this. Um, it, it, it took a long time um, for us to regain a sense of trust and normalcy and um, a sense of community. And it, during a time when, when people were just automatically lining up on one side or another, um, and when I say automatically, it, it was hard uh, it was hard to, you know, walk a middle ground. So whether people just did it by default or they made intentional choices, there was a lot of lining up on one side or another. Uh, your school took some actions to, to reach real people with the love of Jesus. Tell us a little bit about that. Hmm. Well, so the riots um, caused a power outage that kind of blanketed part of the city near, near our school, actually. It was just across the street from our school. And, um, you know, the buses had been stopped because of the pandemic. And we knew some school families that lived in that area. They didn't have power. They didn't have public transportation. And we just thought about how are they going to get food? How are they going to get the supplies that they need? How are mothers going to get diapers for their children? Um, and so just over 24 hours, we, we did a food drive. And I can't remember, we raised something between $6,000 and $10,000 worth of supplies. Our donors and supporters of the school are phenomenal. And they just they came in with bags and bags of supplies. Um, we had dozens of volunteers help us. And we opened a food shelf, basically, um, an outdoor food supply. And we had hundreds of people come in and take um, canned goods, diapers, hand sanitizer, masks, um, Bibles, things like that. It was, it was really incredible how quickly it, it came up, you know. And I do think that it served a very specific purpose for that time as it was needed. You know, I think one of the neatest things about the food drive was um, we were still in the middle of a pandemic, right? We were all social distancing at home. But this was an opportunity for people to gather. It was an opportunity for our community to gather. And when we gathered, we talked, we listened, we discussed, we heard perspectives, we heard experiences, we asked questions. And I think those conversations were priceless to be able to um, ask questions that maybe we haven't asked before or um, hear stories that, that maybe change our perspective um, and listen to our neighbor and love our neighbor. I think that was 
the biggest benefit that um, I saw coming out of that gathering and that food drive. I, it makes me think of uh, Matthew 25, Jesus' parable, where, where he is uh, telling his faithful people that whatever they did for the, for the least of these, they did for him. And uh, it certainly seems that as God's people, we want to put his love in action to reach um, anybody in any of their needs. And uh, there certainly was a lot of opportunity there. Uh, and we keep your school in, in thought and prayer because, you know, the, the trial is underway. And, uh, and so there, you know, we may not be fully past this yet, and it will take time to heal still. Uh, but that, that good news of Jesus is for all. And, uh, and your school is just doing an, an incredible job of proclaiming that news of Jesus to to people of, of different backgrounds, cultures, heritages, skin colors, and uh, that's that's an amazing thing to see. Uh, what are what are some of the other challenges that might face ministry there? Hmm. Well, right now we are <laughs> we are very limited by our building. Um, we've just reached max capacity. We have been now for years, and um, it's a good building, but we're just we're overflowing, and so. You know, um, we have dreams of, of building someday. I don't know when that will be, but we have converted our cafeteria to a classroom. We've built classrooms in hallways before. I mean, we mm. just use every inch of space. Um, but other than that, you know, and even through that, God has given us everything we need to do ministry there. Um, and the parents that he brings to us that also support and um, engage in our ministry and and help in our ministry. It's just really incredible to see. Um, we just got a new pastor, our campus pastor, John, and he is a blessing. Uh, we have been praying for a pastor for a long time. And it's really neat to see God filling in these gaps and bringing us what we need for ministry, despite the old building, <laughs> despite some of those challenges as far as the faculty of facility. Um, ministry is going on nice and strong. So one of the things I like to encourage people uh, in my podcast is to support their local churches where real face-to-face -face ministry happens. And uh, certainly um, I also want to include schools because uh, it's hard to, to, it's hard to express how much ministry happens in those in those contexts where not only is the Word of God part of their everyday school experience, but also you, you build these long-term relationships, spend a lot of time with people, so they get to see the love of God in you, in the way you, you uh, uh, interact with them. And so, uh, so if someone, so I'll encourage not only continued support of face-to-face -face ministry in churches, but also in schools, and if someone neither near or far from you would want to show some support to your school, what could they do? Well, if you're near, definitely contact us and volunteer. We love to have volunteers come in. We've got lots of different projects um, from, you know, helping tutor kids, not during a pandemic, but in other times. Um, everything from tutoring kids to different tasks in the office. We love having volunteers. Um, in general, if you would like to donate, you could certainly go to our website, um, www.trinityfirstschool.org, and there's a donate button right there. We are 95% run on donations. We don't have a supporting congregation 
that um, adds to our funding. It's all through donations, and that's what keeps us running. So uh, it's folks out there from all over the country keeping our school open. So I know schools where, where I live, private schools, uh, can, can charge a hefty tuition and people are able to pay it. Um, and in, in the urban context, that, that is less common. And so your, your school uh, does rely on those donations to keep an op operation. So uh, I'm sure you are thankful for everyone who supports. Uh, Anna, what, what else would you like to share with us today uh, fr from a, a ministry perspective or um, anything additional on anything we talked about? Yeah, you know, as I have been looking back on my time in Taiwan and my time in Minnesota, um, I remember something a college professor said to me about missionaries. And a, a missionary really needs to be an excellent listener. And I am finding that to be true. Um, in my time in Taiwan, I needed, I needed to listen to get to know the people I was attempting to serve. And in Minnesota, the same thing is true. Um, I need to be an excellent listener, observer of, um, of the culture, of, of who I'm speaking with, of interpersonal communication and relationships. Um, and that really helps you identify the most effective way um, to speak long gospel into people's lives. Um, and so I'm, I'm grateful for that piece of advice. A missionary needs to be an excellent listener. And I think that helps with both the truth aspect, knowing what truth needs to be spoken, and also the love aspect of Tensegrity Church. Um, we can love better when we listen better. Yeah, I always think of Ephesians 4, where it says we are to speak the truth in love. And actually, that, that's a, a bit of a, a simplified translation, because it's hard to translate the, uh, the, the truth part of it. It's not just speaking the truth, but it's, it's being people of the truth who listen to the truth, believe the truth, speak the truth, live the truth, and then in love. And uh, you, when you were talking about listening, I was thinking of uh, Bonhoeffer has a fascinating little book, uh, Life Together, and he has a whole section on the importance of listening. And it's, uh, that's, an, uh, that's a fantastic little book. I highly recommend it. And that section on listening is very appropriate too. Anna, thanks for your time today. I think all my listeners will agree you're the best guest I've ever had. <laughs> and uh, uh, I think you're, you're just a really interesting person, too. Just out of curiosity, what, what books are you reading right now? Oh, my goodness. Um, too many. One is called The Other Half of Church. It's kind of the neuroscience behind faith and relationship and how they intersect. And then I'm also reading some books recommended to me by a pastor friend. One is called Final Gifts, and the other is called... The Sacred Walk, Dispelling the Fear of Death and Dying. And um, really, really good book. I would almost say life-changing, but I'm only in chapter two. <laughs> I'm sure the rest of the book will be just as life-changing as chapter one. Enjoy the rest of the reading. Thanks for listening, everyone. That's all we've got for today. God bless you and take care. This has been Tensegrity Church Podcast. Strong in the truth and love of Christ. Together, we are church.